Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR. Welcome to Herds and Curds with Leanne McLean and Carmen Bateson. Today we welcome Anne-Marie Monder and Carla Mers of Holy Goat, who started their farm in central Victoria in early 2000 with a handful of goats. Since then, they've built a thriving farmhouse cheese production with 95 milking goats and a daily cheese production specialising in fresh lactic fermentation and surface ripened goat's cheese. Hello and welcome, ladies. Yes, very happy to be here. Awesome to have you here. Now, can you tell the listeners how you became farmhouse cheese makers? Well, uh, I'll start first. It's Anne-Marie talking. I uh, studied agriculture after I left school and I had the option of doing accountancy or something real and I thought thought food was really important. So I studied... uh, did a four-year degree in agriculture and uh, unfortunately I ended up in laboratories and so I uh, I thought this isn't agriculture to me <laughs> and uh, then I um, uh, did a dip ed and went into teaching and but I did have goats when I was a teenager and I was always fascinated by them and that really uh, was a small dream that grew into reality when I met Carla and uh, we were able to do a bit of travelling across farms in Australia and a- around Europe and um, eventually, you know, buying our farm here in Sutton Grange in 1999. So was that um, like woofing? In, in... Uh, some was, when I did my degree, it was part of the requirement to work on three different farms. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, some of it was woofing and some was, yeah, some was, uh, we just contacted farmers that we wanted to work with and said, can we work and we'll do an exchange mm. with uh, food and accommodation. Mm. And uh, Carla said... And some, some of it was also paid. We got paid work on some of those farms just because we weren't useful enough to be paid. Yeah. And for me, um, I was um, uh, born in Warrnambool and... Uh, when I was a little kid, was a real little country town where you could run feral <laughs> and uh, muck around and do lots of things. But I've just always really um, loved being a person who's outside and with animals. And even though, you know, I eventually moved to Melbourne and I finished school and I did a um, Bachelor of Education specialising in music, um, I still had that. Uh, love for animals and I worked I went. I spent some time overseas when I came back I did about seven years as a uh, music teacher with, um, at a girls high school where we had lots of rock and roll bands and it was really good fun But and when uh, I met Anne-Marie then and um, did some more teaching and we decided to go overseas together and I suppose that's when we um, we did lots of cycling and we just, we worked on a few farms and when we came back after a year being away, we decided to continue working on farms and that was when we could develop really what we together might be able to do uh, with the force of the two of us. And there was really 
I no question that that might not be um, goat farming and making cheese. That was just uh, the thing that we wanted to do together. And so before you went away, went overseas, did you have a notion, were you going travelling or did you have a notion that you were exploring a potential far, a farm idea and uh, gaining um, experience on this trip? We did. We went, we took our bike, so we were, cycled, we were cycling everywhere we went and we did seek out farms right from the start, yeah. Okay. I think that I think the, the driver for us to be uh, cheesemakers are the animals, though. I mean, we wanted to work with goats. We were looking for goat farms, and we did find goat farms in uh, overseas uh, in Ireland, and we worked on, you know, goat farms here in Victoria and over in Western Australia. So the love for the cheese springs from the desire to be with the animals. So let's talk a little bit about your animals. You milk Sarnen, British Alpine and Toggenberg. Why have you chosen your breeds? And also talk about your relationship with those animals as well. We chose uh, the breeds because they're the three main dairy breeds that um, you can easily or readily um, find in Australia. And they are, we originally weren't so keen on having Toggenbergs but we did want the uh, British Alpine and the Sun and Cross. Some to do with a skin colour, um, a little bit of crossbreeding can help uh, genetic diversity and perhaps some of the goat breeding in Australia might just be a little bit um, close. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, look, was we used the Sun and Buck from someone else that was turned out to be obviously half Toggenberg and that's where the Toggenbergs came in the herd. But we really liked them, actually. As a, so as it, it, was un- it was unintentional, but... You... The Toggenbergs were unintentional, mm-hmm. they just came as a gift. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely that you see them as a, a gift. Genetic gift. A yeah, genetic gift. <laughs> um, the um, phenotype was Sarnen and the genotype was Toggenberg and Sarnen. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what about your relationship with them? Because I, having worked for you, I do know that you share a special relationship with the animals. So can you um, give the listeners a sense of your love of these animals? Well, uh, I mean, I think everybody that works with goats uh, has a very strong desire to be around them. And this is where most goat cheese making business spring from, Their, the love of being around this um, extraordinary animal. And human beings have actually been um, working with goats for over 10,000 years. Mm. So they're very close to um, dogs in terms of the amount of time that they've spent, spent with humans. And they have, they have worked out a way to be with us and we've worked out a way to be with them that's very, very connected. So we have... I'll just give you an example of a really lovely goat we've got called Lola. Who waits at the end of the milking every morning so that she can walk down with you when you lock the goats into their paddock for the day? Now, Lola's nine years old and she's been doing that every morning for nine years. (laughs) And she bumps up against you just in case your hand slips off her back. And that connection is sought out by her to be. To be walking with you, with your hand on her back, is what makes Lola's day. 
And um, I remember Maggie Beer here being one time, and she said, oh, it's like 95 dogs. It's true. <laughs> they seek affection, and we seek the connection. I agree. So I've always cat. thought they were half dog, half cat, because they're also a very tactile animal in the way that cats are and that will rub up against you and one yes. another. So yes. I think it's I a... think and maybe the cat analogy is good because I also think in some ways um, they're quite sure that um, in a way they're superior. I think. <laughs> they're sure of themselves and their elegance and their patability and their desirability. They sort of have no uh, uncertainty that they are really, I am goat and I am fabulous. <laughs> that's a lovely thing to be around, an animal uh, that's so self-possessed and actually um, woos you really, um, you know, want, wants you to notice them, always rub up against you, stop so that you pat them. It's, um, so they're schmoozers. It's lovely to be schmoozed by a herd. And they are a herd animal. I think we still have to remember that. The goat preference is to be with their herd and to isolate a goat without their herd is probably the most stressful thing for them. So they, their strongest connection is to each other and they have friendship groups, sisters sleep with sisters, mothers seek out daughters. And then, you know, we've got two old goats that have a special place in the shed at night and, you know, they've built up a connection that is just between them because they've spent so much time together and they've had such long lives together. So their connections are strong too. Their friendship connections in, uh, are strong, as is their hierarchy for who's the boss on the top of the pecking order. So it could be that the goats really, in their superior being status, understand that they're quite like the human slaves who <laughs> they need. That's us, and we're quite happy to do that. <laughs> I don't know which way the equation works, but it's we all like it. Yeah, a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> Hello, I am Gabriel Gatte. 3CR is like a souffle, a challenge to make, but it can just go higher and higher and higher. Support 3CR. You're listening to Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, and today we're talking to Carla and Anne-Marie from Holy Goat Cheese. Can you talk us through your day, like what you actually do during the day with the goats and, and the making of your cheese? Yes. We get up to the, into the dairy at about quarter to six in the morning and we, you know, we flush the milking lines, uh, put out the food for the goats and uh, prepare. And then we bring the goats up onto the milking line and then whoever's working that day, we have a little uh, meeting around our treatment uh, covered. So we hand over from the day before. So whoever worked the day before hands over to the people that are working that day. And this is a really important um, connection that we we have as human beings to make sure we maintain good connection uh, between our workers and then and and an understanding of what's happening with the goats. Uh, we keep a daily uh, a daily record of temperature goats treated, any issues that have come up, and um, and then we milk the goats. So it's about 15 minutes they're on, a, on the milking line, 24 goats at a time. 
uh, after milking, um, or midway through milking, the person who's going to be making the lactic cheese for that day will go in at about 6.30 and they'll set up the cheese room for the day's work. And when the milking's finished and the feed-out, so the feed-out is when you feed all the other goats on the farm who aren't lactating, so bucks, kids, goatlings, uh, when that's finished and the milking's finished and the dairy's cleaned, everybody comes into the cheese room to work together on the cheeses that are being done that day. And we have certain days where um, additional things happen. So Monday and Tuesday are uh, really packing and dispatching and getting our orders out. Um, then we have cleaning days and then we have a hard, semi-hard cheese make day uh the lactic cheese gets made every day. The afternoon milking starts at around uh, 2 o'clock. We mix the feed. We mix the feed fresh every day and milk the goats and normally finish around 5, 5.30. And, and we also, um, most importantly, at 9 o'clock in the morning, all eat breakfast together. Yeah, that's right. The highlight of the day. <laughs> sort of breakfast <laughs> slash dessert. Everyone's got a great appetite. And that's also another uh, good opportunity for communication, isn't it? Because you've got really good communication structures at Holy Goat. So that you have a meeting at that time as well, do you? We have a meeting on the Monday for everybody that's there. And for people who don't start till later in the week, we'll follow up on Tuesday and Wednesday. So they're formal meetings that we document. And uh, we use that as a training tool as well as an information session and handovers and um, people coming up with ideas. Or So we know we've got a weather girl who does a weather report, <laughs> uh, someone who does a report on milk tests, uh, observation, uh, our dispatch, little dispatch team has a session. So we've tried to divide up the meeting so that everybody can contribute something. Mm. And uh, and then we also have a section on OH&S and additional reading material. And it's, and it's been great over the years to really formalise our processes and, and see the benefits of those. And actually when Dairy Food Safety Victoria come and, and audit us every six months, they're very interested in those meetings and, you know, how we manage to communicate effectively with all of our staff. So it's great. And then eating the breakfast is good too because it's a good hearty bowl of porridge <laughs> um, with a lot of additional things put on the top. And uh, we we do that after all the goats are fed and then we feed ourselves and it's sort of like, okay, we're set up for the rest of the day and it keeps you going till lunchtime because they're long days and... Mm. Uh, we're getting a bit older and we'd like to shorten those days a little bit. <laughs> it certainly sounds, Amory and Carla, that um, your previous, you know, t- being teachers and, and involved in agricultural science and learning all of that stuff has come into play with all the systems that you, you've put in place on the farm. Very, yeah, that's yeah. very true. We're, you know, as a teacher, you have to have good systems yeah. of recording and it's, just been so fantastic for all the all the auditing that we we get audited a lot for our organic um, certification for our uh, milking system and also for our cheese factory and that requires a lot of documentation and I think we've got some uh, really good systems to keep to keep on top of that and 
we share those systems with any cheesemakers that come come this way so that they they can find an easier way to, to just keep on top of the auditing requirements. And I think the uh, thing about being teachers is it's interesting because in teaching you're always uh, finding new things, looking for new developments, finding better ways of doing things. So you're very interested in the development of everyone in the team, but also mm. the development of the whole process. It, it, it never, for us, there's no end to what could happen or what, uh, you know, once you achieve this, well, well, probably there's something else to do. So there's no feeling of complacency ever on our farm about what the possibilities might be. And also the um, evaluation, teachers often are, you know, constantly re-evaluating what they're mm-hmm. doing as well, which sounds like what you you do, and also just the the level of communication that you're talking about in you know in terms of making sure everyone's on the same page. You've always got to do that with students about what are we doing today, what you know, and it sounds like you've got really great systems for um, across the board, you know, for everyone and, being on the same page. And I suppose the other thing is a great desire for everyone to be able to do everything over mm-hmm. time. We want people. We're not a workplace that has people that only can do this and other people just do the dishes. Or right mm. from the beginning, we we just work through a process with anyone who comes to the farm where you're learning and you just keep learning. And if you can learn every single thing that you could possibly know on the farm and about the production and the goats, well, that's the best thing that can happen. So we're not um, hiders of information. Mm. We're just happy for, we think the more people learn, the more everybody learns. And that's always the best way to go and I think it makes it a really attractive workplace for for people as well. You're very collegial in that regard across the sector too, with with sharing your knowledge. And perhaps you could talk about a little bit about that within our industry. That um, how do we actually, how do we develop that collegial nature in our industry to encourage other cheesemakers to share their information, to share their problems, in order to actually grow our industry and improve or evolve our industry. Well, we have a um, an industrial organisation, ASCA, Australian Specialist Cheesemakers Association. And we should just and mention, sorry, Carla, that Carla is the president of that association. Yes, very glorious, that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think um, certainly in um, my time as the president of that association and with um, Alison Lansley and um, Paul from Nimbin Valley, we've, um, us as a little team there, really are very interested in uh, developing our... Um, knowledge together for in our cheesemaking association really getting cheesemakers very comfortable uh studying uh getting together in training together and sharing uh, learning new things but also getting confident enough to share you know what really goes on and talking about our problems and things we worry about and uh that's been a fantastic thing to develop over the last three years to see us as a group of people first being very shy and worried about our cheeses to really happy to bring along the worst cheese you've made to go, well, what happened here? Mm -hmm. Let's all talk about that together. And um, so, and also to just tell people, you you know, something, anything as you know, there should be no secrets. uh, You know, I think the worst mistake you can ever make is think that I'm the only one who can know this, otherwise everybody else will be able Mm. to do it too. But... If everybody else can do it too, we can only all get better. 
and there'll be even better things we can do. And and in our association, I think I think we're growing along uh, in that way uh, really well um, in sharing knowledge, sharing information, and talking about problems uh, without feeling ashamed or worried. And so within that, do you feel quite uh, supported in your industry? I think we're supported uh, through training really well. Um, I think the industry itself um, probably doesn't have a very big profile through government's understanding the capacity or the value of um, small artisans and farmhouse cheesemakers, and there could be more investment in that. Um, Dairy Australia receives a lot of funding, but it has no interest um, in small farmhouse mm-hmm. cheesemakers. But um, if you look at other places in the world, it can be the the story making and uh, the innovation really happens at our end of the industry, and that can drive an industry, just as we've seen with uh, boutique wines over time and um, boutique beers, um, cheeses really only at the beginning of that, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I also uh, feel that for farmhouse cheesemakers, they're incredibly busy. They have a herd to manage, a farm to manage, a cheese room. And, you know, I don't feel that hugely supported in in our industry uh, because there's very little time to get together. When when we get together as cheesemakers for training, I think that's a really fantastic time. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, you are managing it yourself, you know, seven days a week, week in, week out. You're there with your herd and and uh, your cheesemaking. So it can, I think it can be isolating for people, but there's ways that they... Uh, you know, get to engage with the public and with other cheesemakers, but there's not there's not huge opportunity for that. You you do you know you do work away on your farm uh, without much support. And, and so, when you run into trouble, where do you seek that information? Do you feel like that's readily available in Australia? Definitely not. <laughs> Mm. When you run into trouble, you use all the resources that you've built up, learned uh, to try to manage that. And I'd say every time we have a, a cheese issue that we're struggling with, we have to work it out ourselves. Mm. There isn't a technical group that we can go to. It would be great to have something like the UK Specialist Cheesemakers Association where they have a technical group where you can take issues with, uh, you know, cheese faults uh, in your production. And but we haven't really, we haven't really got that established in in Australia. I mean, I think a, pe- a lot of people will turn to Ivan Larcher, a French cheese maker and technician, to get support. But we haven't really got uh, that kind of support in Australia. So we turn to, we have a. Um, a consulting uh, vet uh, that we use when we've got uh, big, any big issues that we really think, well, what, what's happening here? With, um, with animals. With, with animals, animals. Yeah. we'll use that. Uh, with cheese making, mainly, um, yeah, we're fairly reliant on those um, uh, sessions, uh, that, those training opportunities we have with Ivan Lutcher where people really discuss problems they're having with cheese. But when an issue's on, we have to sort it ourselves. Mm. Uh, 
that's a different level. I think the French probably have the greatest level of support as um, farmhouse cheesemakers of anywhere in the world, probably, in yeah. terms of the way the structure is in that country. But they also have a lot more small cheesemakers than uh, we do. We haven't really got very many farmhouse cheesemakers in Australia. We've got um, artisan cheesemakers. Uh, but very, not really very many people with their own herd and making cheese. It's quite a very small part of our industry. I'd just like to say that um, I was only talking in regard to the cheese making okay. in terms of support. Mm. I think we've managed to get a, you know, a couple of vets that uh, are able to support us at different levels with our herd. Um, but you know, we do, we do a lot of that work. Um, by ourselves, but we can consult with them to get assistance. So uh, I think we've got more assistance with our herd than we have with our cheese. And particularly um, recently through um, Bruno Gipadou coming now two years um, in a row to the farm, not just to our farm, but to other farms in Victoria and uh, one year or so in New South Wales, uh, training us in a new method for um, an observational method for understanding um, the intrinsic things that are happening to your herd, so you can see where your, how your feed and how your paddocks, uh, that whole system is affecting your animals, and you can address problems uh, very quickly from the signs and symptoms that the animal is expressing to you. Um, and that's uh, over the last two years, particularly um, in the last six months, I think we've really evolved on our farm in um, using that uh, very, very effectively and through um, a project the whole team's been engaged with really linking um, things that things we can measure in uh, the milk and the capacity of the milk to make cheese and observation in the herd to, to have a, a really a greater understanding of um, how the herd's going and seeing things before they become an issue, seeing signs and uh, on the animals and with the cheese so we know, oh, we need to tweak that just a little bit right now to keep everything in equilibrium. And that's, that obsolem, I think, has been an extraordinary uh, assistance to us uh, with our herd. Yeah. That's fantastic. And so Bruno will continue to come to Australia, will he, and um, well, expand people's knowledge about obsolem? Well, we, as long as we can gain enough support, we hope that some of the um, organic dairy farming co-ops will uh, get together to support bringing him to Australia. Um, uh, we, we did that last year because um, uh, we were we had some funding towards bringing him out to our farm, so we were able to do that that way. We, we won't have that again, but uh, we hope there's been enough engagement now with him and uh, understanding of what he has to offer that um, one of the organic uh, dairy co-ops will join with us in um, bringing him out uh, next year. I hope he can come to Australia mm. every year. Yeah. Mm. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. I've just got one quick question. I feel like we should have had a part one and part two with um, with you both from Holy Goat. We because can. So we m- can do a follow-up because I've got lots you more can, questions. You can uh, <laughs> interview us again. That would be oh, fantastic. Yeah. Just tell us quickly, what advice would you give to someone wanting to become a farmhouse cheesemaker? <laughs> Are you speechless? Uh, no. <laughs> I would say make sure before you do it, you, you get out there and work for a few people. You work with some herds and you work with some cheese making. So you, you really gain a heap of experience before you, uh, before you jump in. Go overseas, 
work on people's places, work on people's places in Australia, be prepared to work for nothing, just learn your craft mm. and learn about animals and learn about environments and, uh, you know, really get your head around what, you know, if that's for you, what scale of operation you want to do, who you want to be in that and what you want to achieve. And uh, we did that for four years and we would, that's the only way we have the had the ability to successfully do our own setup and develop the farm in the way we have. And then we still had so much to learn, but we had a lot behind us. Mm, it's great advice. Great. And I'd like to think that um, people seek some training as well and, and try to understand the technical side of cheese making and that they're not just learning their cheese making skills from a YouTube video, but they're actually understanding the science and applying the science in cheese making because uh, I think it's a it's a wonderful vocation, but you need the skills to be a good cheese maker. You just don't become a good cheese maker. Mm. You have to work at becoming a good cheese maker. And having a herd is a foundation because that's where you'll get the best milk and the milk that you understand and the milk that um, you'll be able to use in your cheese factory. So I just think uh, try to think about being a farmhouse cheese maker, not you know, mm. and not just buying in the milk. If that's not possible, of course, artisan cheese making is great, but having the herd is the key to getting the best milk you'll ever get for cheese making. I agree. <laughs> and you get smoothed by the animals. That's right. You get bossed around by the animals. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on Herds and Curds, Carla and Anne-Marie. We'll, we'll do a part two. So thanks Lovely. very much for joining us today. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.